You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. It was a surefire method. Growing up, when we were playing a game or a sport and we had to choose teams and there were no adults around to divvy up the teams, we would choose two captains. And then the rest of the kids would line up and the captains would take turn picking who they wanted on their team. Now that's a good thing if you're a captain. Right? You're the one doing the picking. That's, that's a good spot to be in. But if you're one of the ones standing in line waiting to be selected, that can be, uh, that can be a time of anxiety, right? Are they going to pick me? Are they going to pick me last? Or am I going to be on their team? It was a surefire method to pick teams, but it wasn't much fun for some. Well, sometimes, if we're not careful... We can take that same mindset of concern and worry and anxiety and apply it to our relationship with God or our interaction with God. Some people really struggle with the idea that God would want to save them because of their their failures, their sense of inadequacy, their mistakes, their past, they think, would the God of the universe really want to pick me to be with him? Well, I want to address that that mindset, and I want us to think about that from the scriptures today. We're going to be back in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, turn there with me, Ephesians chapter 1. We are continuing our study, line by line. Verse by verse, this wonderful New Testament letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the first century city of Ephesus. We've made it down to verse 4. And I told you I wasn't going to preach an entire sermon on on each verse. But we're only going to be in verse 4 this morning. It's a lot here. We'll speed up eventually. But if you have your Bibles this morning or if you found your place there, would you just stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Let's start in verse 3, where Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we pause in this moment to ascribe to you the worth that is due your name. Lord, to magnify you, to glorify you. You are God, and you are good, and you are in this place meeting with us. And we're grateful for that. And as we study your word, Lord, I pray that you would move in our midst by the power of the Holy Spirit. That our eyes would be open, that we would understand the scriptures... And that we would have the wherewithal, the inclination to respond to what you're saying. 
Lord, change lives today for the honor and glory of your great name. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, we started our study on this letter that we call Ephesians. And I told you the first sermon, what the theme, the overall theme of the book of Ephesians is. This book is basically about this reality. We experience God's grace in Christ, which saves us, unites us with other believers, and strengthens our Christian walk. That's what the entire book is about. So we've been kind of walking through this book. And the book evenly divides up into two sections. Chapters 1 through 3 speak of all of the, the, the grace that God has poured out upon us in Christ. Uh, Jason Lowe Baxter calls it our wealth in Christ, the blessings that are ours in, in Jesus. And then chapters 4 through 6 deal with our walk in Christ, the, the practical implications of what Christ has done for us. And starting there in verse 3 begins a single sentence of 202 words in the original Greek language. And this long run-on sentence is meant to convey all the blessings that are ours as Christians. We talked last week about every spiritual blessing being ours through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And starting there in verse 4, Paul begins to name some different spiritual blessings. Let me, let me tell you six of them he names in this following passage. We're going to take one by one. He tells us that God chose us. He adopted us. He forgave us. He made known to us the mystery of his will, and he gave us an inheritance, and he sealed us. We're going to be walking through those blessings in the coming weeks. But this morning, I want to focus on verse 4, where Paul writes, He chose us, God chose us in him. This idea of God choosing is called the doctrine of election, that God elects us, or elects to save us, or chooses us to be saved. So looking at this verse, verse uh, 4, I want to make four points under four headings or four aspects of election. Now if you look there in your notes, it says three aspects, but as I continued to study, I added a fourth and forgot to change the three to four. So there will be four, and if you don't aim in a lot, I may add a fifth. I reserve the right. But there's four, four aspects of election to understand what this is all about. Number one, I want you to see the people of election. The people of election. There in verse 4 it says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. The the question arises as we think of this idea of God electing or God choosing people to be saved. An obvious first question is, well, who does God choose to be saved? I mean, if we're all standing in a lineup of humanity and God is the captain picking, is he going to pick us? Does he want to pick us? Does he want us to be with him? Does he elect us or choose us? Who does he choose to be saved? Well, I believe that a key part of this verse and the entire first chapter of Ephesians and the entire New Testament is the phrase there in verse 4, in him. It says there, even as he chose us in him. So there's a direct connection between God choosing and the phrase in him. 
This expression, in him or in Christ, and its parallels occur 36 times in the book of Ephesians. This is a big deal. It's called the in Christ motif. And any discussion on election, uh, God choosing, we have to take into account Paul's continual usage of this phrase. This, this phrase, in Christ, or its derivative, appears 10 times in this one sentence, verses 3 through 14. And when Paul uses the phrase, in him, it speaks of our union with Christ. In other words, when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you entered into a relationship with him. You came into union with him. You were united with Christ. So this phrase, in him, speaks of those who are saved, those who are born again. Those that have seen their need for Savior and called on the name of the Lord. So it says there, he chose us in him. To be in him is to be saved. To be in him is to be chosen. So what does this mean about the doctrine of election? Well, I've given you a sentence there. God chose in his sovereign wisdom to save everyone and anyone who is in Christ. In Christ. Now don't miss the part, last part of that sentence. God doesn't save everyone. And God doesn't save anyone. He only saves everyone and anyone who is in Christ. That's the way that God set it up. You look at that next verse, verse 5. It speaks of, of the fact that he predestined us for adoption. We'll talk about that next week. And people talk about election and predestination. They're, they're trying to figure it out. But the word predestination means to, to mark out the boundaries beforehand. And so God in his wisdom marked out the boundaries of salvation. And he said, if you are in Christ, you are saved. If you are outside of Christ, you are not saved. God in his wisdom set it up that way. And it's the only way to be saved, only in Christ. So people become elect, chosen by God, only when they are in the elect one, and his name is Jesus. Or let me say it like this. Individuals are not elected and then put into Christ. They are in Christ and therefore elect. I'm say it again. Individuals are not elected and then put into Christ. He doesn't choose some to the exclusion of others and say, okay, you're in, you're a Christian now. When we step into Christ, everyone and anyone who does it, anyone who believes in Christ, they are therefore chosen by God. He chose to save them if they are in Christ. Let me, let me show you this. Hold your place. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. There in your New Testament. Look in verse 10. It speaks here of the lawless one in the end times. The, the, the man of deception, the Bible calls him, who will be raised up by the enemy and will deceive many. But notice what it says there in verse 10. With all wicked deception, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So there's a group of people here that refuse the truth, that refuse to be saved, that that heard the gospel about Christ, but refused to step into Christ. They decided to stay outside of Christ by not believing. 
Now, by contrast, skip down to verse 13 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 13, he says, But, here's the contrast to those that refused, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you. There's that same idea. How did the choosing take place? Look what it says. God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. How did he choose? How did the choosing come up? What was the mechanism of choosing? Look what it says. Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. In other words, when you placed your faith in the truth, when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you were then signified as being elect. God chose to save you in Christ. That is the mechanism of his election or his choosing. Now there's a lot of confusion. We're going to talk about this confusion in my last point of the sermon. A lot of people that that have different views on what election and predestination is all about. And we could spend weeks and weeks talking about all of that. Uh, But some people uh, see this word election and it takes them back to the school ground. And they try to figure out, am I elect, am I not elect? In fact, Claire and I heard a story even this past week about a, a man who was concerned about his children not being elect. And, and the idea that he brought children into the world and he was wondering, could they be, even be saved? Did he have children just for them to die and go to hell? I mean, would God choose his children to be saved? Or would God exclude his children from salvation? And, and, and this person is trying to figure out the whole idea of election. So listen, the, the doctrine of election, this word in verse 4, is not meant to get you to say, will he choose me, won't he choose me? The Bible is very, very clear. If you want to be elect, if you want to be chosen by God, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. And you can experience being one of God's children, belonging to him. In fact, John 6.37 says this, All that the Father, Jesus speaking, All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So if you're worried, am I elect? Am I not elect? Am I chosen? Am I not chosen? Just come to Jesus. And if you come to Jesus, he will not push you away. Amen? He'll embrace you because he has chosen to save you in Christ. He's marked out the boundaries. The boundaries are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you are saved. You are chosen. You are elect. If you are outside of Christ, you are not. And you need to run to Jesus. That's the people. Those are the people of election. But secondly, very quickly, the plan of election. The question becomes, well, when did God set all this up? When did God make these decisions? When did God choose? Well, look what it says in verse 4. And this is amazing. Back in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, he chose us in him, watch this, before the foundation of the world. (laughs) Think about that. Before Adam and Eve ever breathed their first breath, before there was a sun or a moon or a galaxy or a planet called Earth, God was there. And in the eternal counsels of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there was this plan put into place whereby God drew out the boundaries beforehand and chose all who would be in Christ. So, if God set all of this up beforehand, 
That means that he initiated salvation, not us. God's the one that put it all into place. God had a plan before creation to save lost sinners. His plan was to send his son to die for you and for me. And he executed the plan of salvation by sending his son. And listen to this. After he sent his son and Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, then one day God decided to intersect our individual lives. When I was nine years old, I wasn't seeking after God. God came looking for me all of a sudden. I began to have this conviction in my heart and my life, thinking about spiritual things I never had before. Why? God had intersected my life. And, and the Bible uses the idea of he was drawing me to himself. R. Kent Hughes says this, We must never allow our subjective experience of choosing Christ to water down the fact that we would not have chosen him if he had not first chosen us. We never would have chosen the Lord if he had not chosen to save us and and executed the plan of redemption and then intersected our life to draw us to salvation. Because you might be here this morning and say, wait a minute, Pastor Wade. I chose Jesus. He didn't choose me. I initiated salvation, not him. I can tell you what the Bible says in John 6, verse 44. Listen to me. This is so important. The Bible says, No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You cannot come to Jesus unless God is doing a prevenient work of drawing in your life, a work of conviction, a work where he opens your eyes to see your need for a Savior and enables you to hear the gospel. If God is not drawing, you can't be saved. That's what John 6, 44 says. That's Jesus speaking. 1 John 4, 19 says it like this. We love God because he first loved us. You say, I don't know about that, Pastor Wade. Well, you've been singing it for years. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because what? He first loved me. You see, before you could come to Christ, God had to come to you. And aren't you glad that God loves you so much he initiated his work in your life? If we are saved, it's only because God in his grace decided to initiate his redemptive plan and his work in our lives. So this plan of salvation that you're in on if you're a Christian, you've stepped into Christ, you've been chosen by God, you belong to him If that's the case in your life, it's because God had it planned out before he ever spoke the universe into existence. We are part of that unfolding, glorious plan of redemption. Which leads me to the purpose of election. Look what it says there in verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be be holy and blameless before him. Notice that word, that. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world so that for a purpose that we would be holy and blameless before him. What was his purpose in setting up this redemptive plan? Marking out the boundaries. If you're in Christ, you're saved. If you're not in Christ, you're not saved. If you're in Christ, you're chosen. If you're not in Christ, you're not chosen. Why did God set it up like this? That he could make us lost, ruined sinners holy and blameless. 
That word holy means to be set apart. It means to be different. That's what the word means. He saved us to, to work in our lives to make us different than the world around us. And that word blameless means without blemish. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And we embrace him as our Lord and Savior. His blood is applied to our lives. Watch this. And our sins are washed away. That's pretty cool. So now we stand before God as blameless. He holds no blame against us because our sins have been forgiven. And so you may just say it like this. Why did God choose to save us? Our transformation. Our transformation. He saved us to ensure heaven. That's what it means there in verse 4 when it says we are blameless. Look what it says in verses 13 and 14, which we'll get to in a few weeks. Look at verse 13 and 14. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. So he chose to save you so that you could go to heaven when you die. When you believed in Christ, he sealed you so that he, he, he could come through on his promise to take you to heaven one day. He saved us to ensure heaven. But also, in the here and now, before we get to heaven, he is sanctifying us. That means changing us to prepare us for heaven. Now look in verse 4. See the words holy and blameless? See those words? Now keep that in mind and turn over to chapter 5 of Ephesians. And look in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Powerful pastor scripture. We're supposed to love our wives like Jesus loves us. So that, he's talking about Jesus here and his people, the church. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. In other words, he's changing his people, the church. Look in verse 27. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might, the church, you and me, that she might be, hear those two words, holy and what? Blameless, same two words. And, and here verse, or chapter 5, they're in reference to Jesus preparing us for heaven. So why did God choose to save you? To ensure heaven and also to make you holy and blameless to prepare you for heaven. In other words, when we embrace Christ, we demonstrate to the world around us how God can change a life. Let me tell you what we are in this room. If you're a Christian, this, the church is not a museum for saints to say, look how good I am, look how good my life is, look at what I've done. No, the church is a hospital for sinners who've come to Christ and been saved, and now we are trophies of grace. We demonstrate to a, to a watching world, this is what Jesus can do. He can intersect your life, forgive you, transform you, prepare you for heaven. This is what Jesus does. And so the first reason that God chose to save us is for our transformation. The second reason is our mission. Our mission. Look what it says there back in Ephesians 1 verse 4. Ephesians 1 verse 4. He says, He chose us in Him. That, that word chose is the word eklektos. is where we get the word election from. That's the, the Greek word. And this word, election, has some Old Testament background to it. 
And you can't understand the New Testament use of this word election until you understand the Old Testament background. And as I look at the Old Testament and the use of this word election, as far as I can tell, election always has a purpose. For example, the Jews are God's chosen people, right? He chose the Jews. They are his special people. They belong to him. And so we might hear that and say, wait a minute. The Jews are chosen people. I I would like to be close to God. I'd I'd like to have a special relationship with God. So did God choose the Jews just to exclude every other nation? The answer is no. He tells his people in the book of Exodus that they are to be a kingdom of priests. Their job was to make the one true God known to all the other nations so they could come worship Him too. Think about the book of Acts. Why was there an Ethiopian eunuch traveling to Jerusalem to worship the God of the Jews? Because he'd heard about that God through the witness of Jews and wanted to know more about Him. So the Jews were elect They're God's special people, and they are still God's special people today. And God has a plan for the Jewish people, which will come to fruition in the end times unfolding. But their election was intended to make God known to everybody else. Think about Jonah. Jonah was one of God's chosen people. He was a Jewish prophet. And yet God said, go to Nineveh. Go to Assyria. This ungodly pagan people and tell them about me so they can believe and be saved. Jonah was chosen so he could tell others about the one true God. What about us? You say, I'm a Christian, I've been elected, I've been chosen by God. That has something to say about your purpose on this earth. I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to show you a striking passage of Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2. This verse really sets the the priorities for our lives if we will listen to it. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. Peter writes, You are a chosen race. Now he's talking to Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor. These These are Jew and Gentile Christians. You are a chosen race. You're chosen. You're elect. Why? A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for his own possession. And and people are reading and saying, Oh, privilege, privilege, privilege. I belong to God. But keep reading. That or so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen to me. God chose to save you so you would go to others and tell them God wants to save them too. That's your mission. That's your purpose. That's what it means to be elect. God chose to save you so you would go tell others and make him known to others. That's our purpose for being on this earth to make God know. So election should never, never cause us to say, oh, look how special I am. I I belong to God and boy, it feels good to belong to God. It feels good to be chosen by him to be saved. Good luck everybody else. No. The goal is to understand God saved us for a purpose to make his name known to others, to share the good news so people can be saved. 
Which leads to the fourth and last point. We've talked about the people of election, and we've talked about the plan of election and the purpose of election. But I want to just close by talking about the perplexity of election. I've gone quickly through verse 4, but, but honestly, we've been rowing in some pretty deep waters. Believe it or not, there's a lot of discussion on the idea of election and predestination. A lot of books, a lot of lectures, a lot of sermons, a lot of blog posts, a lot of debates, a lot of discussion that goes back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. You can trace the discussion on the idea of election uh, really back to the 1500s where it really became a major flashpoint of the church. But even before that, people were talking about these issues and how we're to understand election and predestination. So, so we're rowing in some deep waters and we can spend a lot of time talking about all of this. But the, the question basically centers on, on this issue. Here, here's the question when it comes to election that, that people through the, the centuries have tried to try to reconcile in their minds. How do we reconcile... The sovereignty of God and salvation, that God's in control, and God elected before the foundations of the earth. How do we reconcile the sovereignty of God and salvation with the responsibility of man? Because clearly there are verses where man is responsible, humanity is responsible as to whether or not they're going to embrace the truth or reject the truth. I read that to you in 2 Thessalonians. And, And so we see both in Scripture. God is sovereign, God's in control, God's executing his plan of redemption, and there is a responsibility that we have to embrace his way of salvation or to reject it. So how are we to reconcile those two ideas? And people, there's been a lot of ink spilled on this issue. When I was in seminary, almost every lunch, we'd sit around the table and talk about this issue. There were guys lined up on both sides of of different ways to understand it. Well, what about the sovereignty of God? The Bible is very clear. God is the one who planned, who initiated, who accomplished, who convicted, who drew, who forgave. Let me say it like this. Salvation is completely of God. Jonah says like this in the belly of the whale. Salvation is of the Lord. God's the one who saves. God's the only one who can save. He did everything necessary to save you. Even initiating his work in your life, drawing you to salvation. Salvation is completely of God. It is a free gift of God, not as a result of works. We'll get to that in Ephesians chapter 2 when it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift. It's not by anything you've accomplished. Salvation is a gift you receive, not something you achieve. The Bible's clear. Salvation is a gift from God. God executed it. God planned it. God brought it about. Salvation is of the Lord. Amen? Yet the Bible is clear, clear, that we are responsible for how we respond to his offer of salvation. Romans 10 says, If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Romans 10, 13 Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 1, 12. To as many as received him. To as many as received him. To them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to them that believe on his name. So there, there's, there's a response that God calls for. We've got to respond to what he has done for us. 
And here's the deal. I've seen people that have been drawn by the Lord. God's convicting them, working in their life. And they see their need for Jesus and they run to Him and embrace Him and experience salvation, forgiveness, transformation. It's glorious. And I've seen people who are being drawn by God under deep conviction who turn their back to God. In fact, I've been preaching long enough now, and this may sound a little bit mystical, but I've been preaching a little uh, long enough now that sometimes you can see somebody under conviction. You can just tell that God is, is, is actively working in their life and heart, and they're feeling conviction, their need for a Savior. And, and, and oftentimes that conviction is very uncomfortable, right? Because God's calling for you to respond, to believe in Jesus. And I've seen people under deep conviction come running down the aisle at the end of the service and giving their hearts to Jesus. And I've seen people under deep conviction get up and walk out the back door saying, no, thank you to Christ. Salvation is of the Lord, but we must respond. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 48. I just read this in my time alone with God this week. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I've spoken will judge him on the last day. In other words, there's a category of those who have received the finished work of Christ and those who have rejected the finished work of Christ. So there's a lot of, a lot of discussion about sovereignty of God and responsibility of man and, and you know, Reformed theology and Calvinism and, and all of this predestination election. It's in the Bible. Elections in the Bible. Predestinations in the Bible. We've got to figure out what it means biblically. But when it comes to that whole discussion, I've, I've, I've come up with a sentence. It's not original with me. I've heard it somewhere. I don't even remember where I heard it first of all. And I, I believe this, this sentence, which I'll close with, is a great summary of what the Bible teaches about salvation. God's sovereignty and our responsibility. It's a biblical statement. Some might say, well, Pastor Wade, you're punting. Give us more information. Give us more details. What do you believe? Where do you, where do you fall on this issue or that issue? Well, I'm going to punt, all right? And I'm going to give you a sentence that I think is a biblical sentence. And you can, you can study all this later, but I want you to walk away this morning with this truth on your heart and mind. You ready? If we are saved and go to heaven, we have no one to thank but God. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. Salvation is of the Lord, a free gift of grace. If we are saved and go to heaven, we have no one to thank but God. If we die and go to hell, we have no one to blame but ourselves. That's a biblical statement. That's a summary of the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. So if you're here and and you're on the spiritual school ground, wondering... Does God want to save me? Would God choose to save me? Does God want to do that work in my life? Or have I messed up? Have I blown it? Have I gone too far? I'm so unworthy. Would God want to save me? The Bible says, run to Jesus. And you will be chosen by God for salvation in Christ you die and you go to heaven, you have no one to thank but God. But listen to me. If you reject the gospel, if 
you turn your back to Jesus and you die and go to hell. You have no one to blame but yourself. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for a moment? I don't know how the Lord has taken his word and used it in your life. We went quickly through this idea, but the point is clear. The question is this, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? If you're here today and you say, I don't know that I'm saved, I don't know that I'm going to heaven when I die, I don't have that nailed down, Pastor Wade, I have no assurance of that, I've got some good news for you. The Bible teaches that God loves you so much He sent his only son to this earth. And Jesus came to this earth and went to the cross and died in your place and my place. On the cross, he took all of our sin on himself and took the punishment of God for us. And after he died, he was buried. And early on the third day, he rose from the grave. He's alive today and he's mighty to save. And remember what Jesus said, all that come to me, I will never cast out. Anyone that comes to me, I will never cast out. So if you wonder, does God want me to be saved? Come to Jesus. He won't push you away. He won't cast you out. And this offer of salvation is for anyone and everyone that sees their need. And wants to be saved. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.